Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Today is going to be an invitation for some of you. For some of you, it's going to be a great reminder, but for some of you who are here, maybe some of you who are watching us online, today is going to be an invitation. An invitation to re-engage. Because at some point in your life, for many of you who are here today, many of you who are listening to us online, for some, at some point in your life, maybe years ago, you had an encounter with God. That that encounter might have been uh, you grew up going to church and and your parents uh, brought you to church every week. But then you got into college and you got your first job and you were out on your own. And all of a sudden it kind of just fell by the wayside and you stopped going. Or maybe for some of you, what happened was that you you, you used to go to church and, and somewhere along the line you got hurt at the church. Somebody said something to you. Somebody gave you the, uh, a look or, or, or you had an experience and you decided this isn't for me and you walked away. Now, here's the thing that I know, because I don't want you to think that I'm being judgmental here. But here's what I know is that if I had experienced the same thing that you had experienced, if I had gone through the same thing that you had gone through, I'm certain that I would have responded the same way you responded. I'm certain that if I got hurt the way that you got hurt, or if I um, had all of these things in my life that came up and I just slowly stepped away from church and stepped away from God, if I had the same things that happened to you happen to me, that I would have made the same decision. Because for most of us, we, we respond reasonably to situations. And the things that happen to you are different from the things that happen to me. And the way that you respond and the way that I respond sometimes are different. For, for the most part, they're the same. And so today what I want to do is, is, as we go through and talk about what we're talking about, I want to give you an opportunity to re-engage with the faith that you once had. The faith that you might have grown up with. Or the faith that you developed, but somehow, somewhere along the line, you kind of stepped away from it. And the reason that I think that this is the perfect time of the year uh, for us to do that is because as we've been talking about the arrival of Jesus, and last week as we talked about the light, here's one thing that I know, is that the light that is in you, that light that was planted there years ago, it never went out. It never disappeared. That as you face the situations that you face, and as you've gone through the life that you've lived, That there have been times where there was darkness, but the darkness wasn't enough to put out the light. And so even today, there are times in your life where you've been bumping up against something and you've said, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. Or, oh boy, that's probably something in my life I want to change. And that thing that that makes us feel like we're bumping up against something, that's, that's the light that's in us that never really disappeared. And so, as we're talking about this today, and the reason that I'm bringing this up today is because as I invite you to reconsider and to re-engage, and maybe for some of you, it's not really re-engaging, it's engaging for the first time. I want to talk to you today about a character, a person, someone who is involved in the Christmas story that I most identify with. That, That as I look at the Christmas story, the person who reminds me most of me. 
Now, I don't know for you who it is in the Christmas story that reminds you of you. I don't know if it's Joseph. I don't know if it's Mary. It might be the shepherds. You know, they, they, they were like scared all the time because of all these exciting things and the bright lights that were happening. Um, for some of you, I hope none of you are identifying with Jesus. That's a whole different conversation we're going to have to have. But somewhere along the line, we, I think that there's, there's someone that we identify with. And today, what I want to talk about is, and what I want to suggest to you is, is that the person that we may identify most with is a, is a person in the Christmas story who we don't really think a lot about. And that person is King Herod. Now, King Herod was the king at the time that uh, the, the birth story happened. And I think that the that King Herod, who is the villain of Christmas, the reason that I say that maybe that this is he is the guy that we most identify with is because I think there's a little bit of King Herod in all of us. That there's something in us that wants to be king or or queen. Some of you don't want to be king. That's fine. But he want to be king or queen, right? We want to be in charge. We want to be the ones who say something and then it happens. It used to happen at my house. I would say something and it happens. Now, no. (laughs) Nothing. But wouldn't that be great to be the king or queen? To do what you want, say what you want, eat what you want, without someone reminding you about what you're not supposed to eat? (laughs) You could eat and never gain weight. You would live your life and never grow old. I mean, wouldn't it be great to be the person who's in charge of everything? And the thing is, for most of us, we want God to be in our lives, but we don't want him competing with us for control of our lives. And that's the big challenge. And that's why I say that, that there is something in, about King Herod, that there's a little bit of King Herod in all of us. Because you see, King Herod, uh, to understand who he was, we have to understand who King Herod was. King Herod was a client king of Israel, of, of Judea, which was where Israel was at the time. And a client king simply means that he was a king that was appointed by Rome. So Herod was king of Israel, of that place. He was the king of the Jewish people where they lived. But he wasn't a Jew, which must have driven the Jewish people there crazy, that their king wasn't one of them. And so King Herod was there, and, and he was the ruler of this place. And King Herod was, um, he was a very, very intelligent, ambitious, smart, wise, powerful man. King Herod built cities. In fact, at the time, they, would, they referred to him as Herod the Builder. And he built cities. He built aqueducts, bringing water to different places. He was the one who rebuilt the temple in Israel. And so King Herod was very wise and he was, he was very popular and everybody knew who King Herod was. Now, one of the things that happened to King Herod or, or in his life, which, which we don't really hear about much, but I think it's important for us to understand so that we understand who King Herod was. So in about 44 BC, uh, something happened which many of you read about in, in, in high school, and that was that Julius Caesar was killed in the Roman Senate, right? The Ides of March, it's a big joke for me because, you know, Caesar. And so March, I always be careful, look at my back, make sure no one's back there because um, someone might take that thing literally. Uh, so, 
But Julius Caesar was, you know, he was the leader of Rome. And in 44 BC, he was assassinated on the Senate floor. And so um, there were two people, uh, specifically, there was a guy named Mark Anthony, and we're going to put their names up on the screen, uh, Mark Anthony, and another guy whose name was Octavian, and Octavian was Julius Caesar's nephew. And these two men, very powerful men, they went out, and after Caesar was assassinated, they went, and they went all over the Roman world to kill all of the people who assassinated Julius Caesar. They teamed up together, and they went around, and they killed everybody who went up and were involved in the assassination of Julius Caesar. They formed an alliance. There was actually a third guy, but he's not really important to the story. And I forget his name. And so that's why his name's not up there. Um, but they, yeah, there was a third guy. So, but the two most influential and powerful guys were Mark Anthony and Octavian, who eventually became um, the emperor of Rome, the first emperor of Rome, and changed his name to Caesar Augustus. So during the time that Mark Antony and Octavian were working together to, to destroy all of the enemies of Julius Caesar, at some point, at around 31 BC, they were able to do it. They had destroyed all of the enemies of Julius Caesar. And they were now the only two individuals who were of any power in the Roman Empire. In fact, both of them had different leaders of Roman legions that were following them. And in 31 BC, there was a civil war. And the forces that supported Mark Anthony went up against the forces that supported Octavian. Now, Mark Antony at the time had a wife, and her name was, anybody remember? High school. Mark Antony's wife? Cleopatra. Cleopatra was Mark Antony's wife. Thank you. Uh, it's nice to know somebody still remembers. So Mark Antony, or Cleopatra is Mark Antony's wife. And the Romans could not stand Cleopatra. They were very wary of her. And the reason was, is what they thought was that Cleopatra, who was the, the, the queen of Egypt, and Egypt at that time was becoming powerful and prosperous, they were afraid that if Cleopatra uh, became the wife of the Roman emperor, that there would be a union between the Roman empire and the Egyptians, and the Egyptians would take over. So the Romans didn't like Mark Anthony because of Cleopatra. But Herod who was the king of Judea, the king of Israel at the time, he had to make a choice. Was he going to back Mark Anthony or was he going to back Octavian? And unfortunately, Herod, well, he chose the patriots. He chose Mark Anthony. This is a prediction for next year. But he chose Mark Anthony. And Herod would throw these lavish parties in honor of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. They would be days-long parties where all they would do is dance and drink. And he would shower them with gifts and, and he had their full support. And then the Civil War broke out. And very, very quickly, Octavian conquered and destroyed Mark Anthony's forces. And Herod was left out in the wind because he had been a big supporter of Mark Anthony. And now Mark Anthony had to retreat to Alexandria and he was defeated. And now here's Herod. 
He's king of a Roman territory. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Because he backed the wrong guy. And so Herod had options, right? His first option was to stay in Israel and to just hope and pray that they would forget about him. His second option was he could run. He could get all of his stuff and, you know, he could move to Cleveland. Nobody would ever hear from him again. But instead, because because Herod was so smart and because he was so ambitious, what he did was he went and he sailed to Rhodes. Rhodes was an island and on that island was where Caesar Augustus was. And so here is, here is Herod, and he goes up to this island, and he gets off his boat, and he walks up, and he says, I would like to see Caesar Augustus. And everybody on the island is like, hold on, what are you doing here? I mean, you, you were playing for the other team. We're, we're coming after you. Not right now, because we're busy partying, but we're going to come after you. And so everybody there is surprised that Herod is coming to see Caesar Augustus. And so they tell, they tell him and they say, hey, Herod is here to see you. And he's like, who? Herod, he's coming to see you. Okay, I guess we can kill him here. And they just let him in. And so Herod goes into the court where Caesar Augustus was. And he does this very, very bold thing. He stands up in front of Caesar Augustus and he says, Caesar, you who are now the emperor of Rome, I was a supporter of your enemy, Mark Anthony. And I supported him from the very beginning. And when I gave him my support all the way up to the end, I supported him. Because when I give my support to somebody, I give it to them up to the very, very end. And so today I am giving you, Caesar Augustus, my support. And I will support you to the end. And Caesar Augustus listened to this speech that Herod gave, and he was moved, and he was impressed. And when Herod left there, instead of him leaving, you know, in multiple pieces, Herod left there not only as the king of Judea, but he also gave him the territory of Jericho, of Samaria, and Gaza. He walked away with more than double the amount of territory that he had when he walked in. This is the kind of person that Herod was. But you see, Herod's problem was this. Herod's problem was he let his ambition and his self-interest get in the way. And he made unwise decisions. Herod had ten wives. Already an unwise decision. (laughs) Ten wives. He had many sons. And what would happen was was that Herod, because he wanted to continue the line, he wanted all of the kings of Israel to come from his line, he would tell one of his sons, you are going to be the next king of Israel. Until his son did something wrong. And then he would have him assassinated, and he would go to the next son. And he would say, you are going to be the king of Israel. Until he did something wrong. And then Herod would have him assassinated. And pretty soon, he would go to a son and says, do you want to be king of Israel? And his sons were like, no, you know, hey, I'm okay. I don't want to be king of Israel. In fact, Augustus said that it's better to be a pig than to be a son of Herod. Apparently, they don't eat pork as fast as they get rid of his sons. This is who Herod was. And Herod went through so much because he wanted to make sure that his lineage would remain, that he would have a legacy. 
And that desire to have a legacy got him into problem because he ended up making bad decisions. In fact, rabbis from that area would stay away from Jerusalem because they didn't want to come anywhere near Herod because when Herod was upset, people died. And so they stayed away because they didn't want to ever deliver any bad news. And so here is Herod, and he is doing everything that he can to try to control the outcome of his life, to control the outcome of his legacy. And because of his desire to do that, there was nothing but chaos in his kingdom, in his kingdoms. So at the time that we get to the birth of Jesus, Herod is now about 70 years old. So he's an old man. And what historians tell us was that at 70 years old, Herod had a really, really painful kidney disease. Now, back then, they didn't have our modern methods of dealing with kidney disease. And so Herod was in pain all the time. In fact, he was in so much pain that he attempted to kill himself. And in those days, killing yourself was painful. It was more painful than the pain that he was feeling from the disease, but he just wanted it to end. And if it wasn't for his cousin who walked in on him while he was trying to kill himself, he would have probably been successful, but he ended up not killing himself. He ended up staying alive. And so here's Herod, who has for his entire life been trying to maneuver this this situation that he was in so that he would be the one to decide who would be all of the kings that would follow him as king of Israel. And where he is, 70 years old, someone tells him that there is going to be a new king of the Jews. And right now, that king is just learning to walk. And so this is where our story begins. We're we're going to see as Matthew tells it. And Matthew writes this. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, which is the time that we're talking about, the time when Herod was alive, he says, Magi, or wise men, you've seen them on Christmas cards, the wise men came from the east, came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? And all of the people who were there and who knew Herod, and you knew Herod was the king of the Jews, they're like, shh, not so loud. Herod might hear you. But they don't know Herod. They don't know anything. And so they're just walking around the city. Hey, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? In fact, they tell them, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Because that's what the Magi did, was that they studied the stars. And so it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed And all Jerusalem with him. Because when King Herod is disturbed, everyone is disturbed. Because when King Herod is disturbed, you don't know what King Herod is going to do. And if you're too close to King Herod, what he's going to do might happen to you. And so when he's disturbed, the entire city was disturbed. Because he is now hearing that there is someone out there who they are calling the king of the Jews. And if there was a king of the Jews, man, this messes up all of his plans. Because he had planned everything so that every king would come from him, from his lineage, from his family. 
And here was something that was coming to mess it up. And so this is what he did. The story says, when he called, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, because you see, Herod was not a Jew, so he did not understand this prophecy. So he called together all of the people who understood prophecy and understood the teachings of the Jews. He calls them together and it says he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Because he didn't know. And so these Jewish leaders, they answered him. They said, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And they quoted the prophet Micah who talked about the Savior coming. And he says this, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so what Herod says is, he's listening to this, and this is the prophecy. And it goes on and it says this, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. Because he wanted to know what was going on. He wanted to know what these people had seen. And And then he says... He sent them to Bethlehem because that's where the religious people told him that's where you go because that's where the Savior is going to be born. So he sends them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And this is like, you know, I mean, everybody there knew what he was saying. He's like, tell them because I want to worship him too. And yet we know that that's not why he wanted to know where this guy was. You know, this guy being Jesus, right? That's, he didn't go there. He didn't want to worship him. So it says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So they knew exactly where this Savior was going to be. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now today when we talk about the word worship, we we normally, especially in church world, when we talk about worship, we talk about music. But that's not what they're talking about here. When they talk about worship, they're talking about being in the presence of someone who is so great, who is so much greater than you, who is so magnificent, so powerful, that your only response can be to drop to your knees. And that is what they did. They bowed down and they worshipped him. But just five miles away from this, here's Herod. And now Herod is worried. Because they went there, and they've been there for a while, which he knows means that they have found who this king was. And that's why I say that there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Because for many of us, I know for me especially, listen, I'm okay with leveraging God if he's going to do something for me. If I need God to help me work my life out, no problem, God, come on, bring it on. But the idea of saying yes to God before we even know what the question is can be troubling. The idea of saying, God, I'll go without even knowing where God wants us to go can be a tough thing to do because we want to be in charge. We want to be the ones making the decisions. We, we want to be in charge of the outcomes. We want to be kings. Now the story goes on and says this, And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, this is the Magi, returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. 
Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. And the story goes on. Joseph, Mary, Jesus, they go to Egypt. Herod has no idea that this is what happened. And it says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And can you imagine what it was, must have been like to be around Herod when he was furious? He was mad. And so he gave instructions that you and I today would find unimaginable. That if we heard that this was happening today, that you and I would think it is impossible, that no matter how bad, how cruel people can be, that there would never ever be anybody who would ever issue an instruction like this. But Herod was furious. And he was at the end of his life. And he saw everything that he had worked for on the verge of falling apart. And so he did what you and I could never imagine anyone doing. It says, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And so that's what he did. He sent his soldiers into the little town of Bethlehem and house by house, door by door, they went in and they found any boy who could have been in that age range. And I have trouble with that. I don't know about you, but if you show me a little baby, I don't know if they're one or 14. They just all kind of seem to be the same age. And these guys who were Herod's Herod's soldiers, the last thing they wanted to do was to deal with the furious Herod. So anybody who could even have remotely been that age, they went in and they murdered them in front of their families. And if any of their family members tried to stop them, they were murdered too. This was how furious that Herod was. Later that year, Herod would eventually die a very, very painful death. But before he died, he gave an order for his soldiers to go around Jerusalem and to arrest all of the prominent, influential, rich people in Jerusalem. And so he went around and they gathered them all and they were all arrested and they were all put in prison. And what Herod said was this was that within hours of when he died, he wanted, he ordered his soldiers to kill all of those people. Because he said that on the day of his death, he wanted to know that someone was mourning. Because he knew that when he died, there wasn't going to be mourning. There was going to be a party in Israel like they had never seen before. And so he wanted to make sure that someone was going to mourn on the day that he died. So he died, but fortunately, the soldiers who remained didn't carry out his orders. They released these people, and people celebrated that Herod had died. The story goes like this. It goes on, and it says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying 
to take the child's life are dead. And Joseph and Mary and Jesus went back to where they came from. And Herod, who was Herod the Great, instead of being known for the great things that he did, Herod ended up becoming a footnote in history. Herod ended up becoming a minor player in the major, most major story of history. That for all that he did to try to make himself great, that he didn't end up being great. I mean, can you imagine what that must have been like? Or what it would be like to talk to Herod now, if he, if he could just listen to the story. That someone would say to him, listen, Herod, you're going to be famous. He's like, oh, I like that. Herod, 2,000 years from now, there were going to be people all over the world in places that you've never seen before, places that haven't even been discovered yet, speaking languages that you've never heard that will be telling the story. And that story will have you in it. And Herod would be like, yes, I'm so glad. That's so wonderful. And yet they would say, but there's bad news. Because instead of being the star of the story, you're just going to be a footnote for the story. And that for all that you have done, for all of the things that you have accomplished, for the great things that you have added to the community and and to civilization, that you won't be known as Herod the Great. You won't be known as Herod the Builder. That you will go down in history as Herod the Butcher. And the world will remember you as the king who attempted to resist who attempted to extinguish the light of the world. He was so close. He was only five miles away. But because he was so insecure and because he was so scared and because he was so obsessed with trying to control the outcomes in his life, that he completely missed seeing the baby who became a king who became a savior to you and me. Eighty years later, Herod was gone. And John, who knew Jesus and spent time with Jesus, John, who who Jesus loved so much and trusted so much that when he was about to die, when Jesus was facing death, that he went to John and he said, John, I want you to take care of my mother like she was your mother. And he went to his mother and said, I want you to take care of John Like John was your son. John who lived his life. Who saw some of the most horrendous things happen to his friends. To his people. Who saw the devastation of the city. Who saw the temple that he had grown up going to. To experience the presence of God completely destroyed. John is at the end of his life. And he is now wanting to write down. He's wanting to record what he had experienced. And so John, thinking about all that he had seen, all that he had heard, all that he had experienced, not just during the time of Jesus, but all the way up through then, at a time where most people will tell you that it was one of the worst times in in history to be a Jew, that John would sit down and he would write, thinking about who Jesus was, and he would write this, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. 
And then he wrote the light. And I think here he would have paused. He would have said the light, the light. Jesus was the light, the light. And then turning it around, going from where he was talking about the past and saying he was the life and he was the light. He said the light shines in the darkness. Present tense. It is shining right now. He contrasts with what he saw back then and he says, listen, here's the good news. The light and the life is not just for back then. The light shines today in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.